I worked this last week on my final sermon, the, the one just before the week before Chad comes and preaches. And, and the title of the sermon is The Care and Feeding of Your New Pastor. Um, and I, um, I got the rough draft done this past week, and I have a problem with it. It's uh, 21 points long, and one of the points has 35 sub-points to it. So maybe Chad won't be starting when he thinks he's starting. Uh, that, that might be a three-week uh, sermon there. Well, we are down a little bit in numbers, the 4th of July weekend, and I know as a pastor, I always knew that Memorial Day weekend and Labor Day weekend and 4th of July were always going to be smaller crowds. And it uh, kind of reminds me of an old country preacher I heard about once. Uh, showed up for church one Sunday, and there was the pianist, and there was the preacher, and one old farmer showed up for church. And so they were kind of talking together. He says, what, what should we do? You know, should we just cancel the service? Only one person really showed up. And the farmer, old farmer says, well, he says, let me tell you this. He says, when it comes feeding times for the cows, if only one cow shows up, we feed them. So it doesn't matter how many people show up for church. Uh, the important thing is you get fed, and that's what we're here to do today. This is really part two of the message from last week. Last week we talked about getting out of your rut. Today's message is don't hurry, be happy. In a society that is moving faster and faster all the time, I think this is an important message that we all need to be reminded of from time to time. We live in a society where we buy anything that will help us hurry more. I read recently that the average adult does more in three years than their great-great-grandfather did in their lifetime. Imagine that. More in three years. The top-selling shampoo in America rose to the top when it became the first shampoo to combine shampoo and conditioner in one bottle, thus saving us all that extra time that we needed for two applications to our hair. Now, some of you don't worry about that at all, but uh, <laughs> imagine the time consumption of having to put shampoo on and then, and then conditioner. Domino's became a, a, a major name in the pizza industry because they promised to deliver in 30 minutes or less. The CEO of Domino's said this, we don't sell pizza, we sell fast delivery. We gather at the Golden Arches not because it's solid, good food or even cheap food. It's fast food. But you know, we still had to park the car and walk into the counter 
and order the food and then go down, sit down and eat it. So what did we invent next? The drive-through window. Now we can drive up, get our food, eat it in the car as we're driving to the next activity on our schedule, just like God intended for us to do. Need we talk about cell phones? I remember a time when if I wasn't home, people couldn't call me. You know, they they couldn't get a hold of me. But now it is imperative for some reason that people be able to get a hold of me any day, any time, any second that they want. In fact, have you ever got a call from someone saying, I've been trying to reach you for five minutes. Oh, no. This morning I want to look and see, is there anything in the Bible that talks about hurrying? Is, in fact, is hurrying a virtue? Or as Carl Jung said, Hurrying is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. Ephesians 5, 16. Here we read this. We are redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to redeem the time? Does that mean the Bible is saying we need to cram as much as we possibly can into as short amount of time as possible? Is that what it is saying? Go over to Colossians 4, verse 5. Colossians 4, 5. says, walk in wisdom toward them who are without, redeeming the time. Is going faster redeeming the time? Is that what God is saying to us? I want you to get as much as you can into a short amount of time as you can because you're only given a certain amount of minutes on earth and you need to redeem every single one of them by doing something. As the saying goes, better to burn out than rust out. Is that a biblical concept? I have talked to some people who would argue that that is. That we need to be doing, 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 doing because we only have a certain amount of time and we, and we need to redeem the time. We need to... We need to account for every single minute that we have. Well, let's go over to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Mark, chapter 6. And we'll start around verse 31. A 
I'll back up to verse 30. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Now, Jesus has sent out his disciples. And they went out and, and they, were, they were teaching and they were casting out demons and they were doing all sorts of things. And now they come back to Jesus. They come back to Jesus and, and kind of do their report, if you would. And then verse 31 says, Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. He says, Come apart. Come come aside with me. Let's go to a place where there there aren't any people. And, And let's get some rest. What Jesus said they needed was rest. Notice what Jesus did not say. He did not say, well done, disciples. You've been so busy, you haven't even had time to eat. He didn't say that. Why is it we have in our heads this idea that being busy is better? That that living a hurried life is is something that that God wants of us? And and I've come up with some reasons, I think. I'm sure there are more than this. But being busy makes us feel important. I've noticed this in business. If somebody calls and says, I need to meet with you, there's a couple different answers you get. Number one is, well, my schedule's pretty full right now. I can meet with you in two weeks. You go, wow, this guy is so important. He is so booked up that I can't possibly meet with him. Another answer is, sure, my schedule's free. Come on over. And you go, well, this guy must not be doing anything. He's not accomplishing anything. Maybe he's not even needed in the business if he's free right now. See, we equate busyness with importance. I love a tiny little book called The One-Minute Manager. I don't know if any of you ever read that before. But it's a great little book, The One-Minute Manager. Kind of debunks that. And, you know, being busy makes us feel important. Like, wow, you know, I'm running here and I'm running here and I don't have any time between anything. And, you know, boy, I'm important. I'm I'm accomplishing something. I think for other people, being busy kind of keeps the adrenaline pumping. You know, they want to keep busy because, you know, that, that, that fuels their juices. Adrenaline junkies. For others, maybe keeping busy is so that we don't have to look at our heart. As long as we keep busy doing things, we don't have time to actually sit down and evaluate, how am I doing? Next week, we're going to do a spiritual checklist. Okay, we're going to go right down the checklist, and we're going to ask the question, how am I doing on these areas? Some people, they just want to keep busy so they don't have to look and evaluate and see how they're doing. Others keep busy just to keep from feeling lonely. 
keep busy because maybe they don't have a significant other person in their life and and so they just they just want to be busy so they don't feel that loneliness but there's a price we pay there's a price we pay for hurrying and and it's called fatigue we get fatigued certain things happen to us emotionally and physically when we get fatigued the bible word for fatigue is the word weary we grow weary go over to galatians chapter 6 verse 9 galatians chapter 6 verse 9 let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I, I used to believe that this verse was saying, don't quit. Yeah, don't quit, for if we keep going, if we keep pressing in due season at the right time, we will reap. So, so don't quit. But you know, it means more than that. It means don't do anything to the point of weariness. And that includes doing good. You know, we can be so busy in doing good, even, that we grow weary. And it's saying don't do anything to the point of weariness, because weariness produces fainting. I ran across a a medical term that I had not I'd never heard before. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called hurry sickness. Anybody heard of hurry sickness before? Okay, I'd never heard of it either. Symptoms include this. Speeding up your life. Trying to find ways to do everything faster. It's interesting. I read some research and they have found there is no correlation between hurry and productivity. We think if we hurry, we'll be more productive. That's not the case. We'll see why in a little bit. Another symptom of hurry sickness is multitasking. You know, where you're eating and you're drinking in the car while you're driving and you're texting and, you know, you're, you're shaving and you're reading and you're putting on your makeup and, you know, you're talking on the phone and, you know, you're, you're multitasking. Another symptom of, of hurry sickness is, is clutter. We're so busy doing things, we don't have time to put things away when we're done doing them, you know? So the clutter just kind of, kind of builds up. You know, and, and then we're buying every labor-saving device on the market, and then that gets cluttered on the desk as well. You know. Another symptom of hurry sickness, I'd never heard of this one either. It's called sunset fatigue. Sunset fatigue. And basically what that means is having nothing left over for the family when we come home from work at night. You know, and, and so what do we do? We, we hurry the family then. 
You know, we, we, we make a game up. Let's see who can finish their bath the quickest tonight, you know, and get their jammas on and, and, and get, get into bed. Or we're promising to do things when, you know, when things get back to normal. Have you ever found yourself saying, you know, when, boy, when things get back to normal, then I'll have time to, to do. You know what normal is? It is a setting on a wash machine that is characterized by a lot of agitation going on. That's normal, okay? We, we spend most of our time in normal. Okay, things aren't going to get back to normal. They are normal. And then we collapse in front of the TV and we tune out the family because we've got sunset fatigue. And another symptom, they say, of this hurry sickness is being love impaired. Love impaired. You see, love takes time. Uh, all relationships take time. All relationships take energy. And if we are fatigued, if we've been hurrying around, we've got nothing left, then we don't have anything to pour into our relationships. And it hinders our marriage relationships. It hinders our family relationships. It keeps us from ministering to people. In fact, we, we really resent their intrusion into our life. We've got everything scheduled down to the second, and then somebody comes in without an appointment, knocks on the door, and we go, oh, nuts, you know? I don't have time to minister to them today, you know? We resent their intrusion. Well, I, I, I thought I'd give you some ideas for slowing down your life, Okay? Some of these may not work well for you, but here's some ideas. Number one, deliberately drive in the slow lane on the freeway. Okay? Better yet, don't get on the freeway. Take the back streets. Okay? I remember my dad. At a certain age, all of a sudden, he wasn't taking I-5 from North Seattle to South Seattle anymore. He was driving down Aurora and going over the Alaska Way Viaduct and driving up through South Center. And I thought, that's craziness. He could hop on the freeway and he could be down to where he's going in half the time. Why would anybody purposely take twice the amount of time to go somewhere? Now I understand. Now I understand. He was purposely slowing down his life. By the way, when you are a captive audience in a car going down Aurora and, and the viaduct, you get a lot of conversation going on. Twice as much conversation as yelling at the drivers on the freeway uh, as you're driving down it. So there's one idea. Second idea. Eat your food slowly. Do you know that eating your food slowly can actually help you lose weight? Because our mind does not register that we are full for a full 20 minutes after we have eaten. So if we're eating... How many of you had a mother who told you, slow down, don't eat so fast? Uh-huh, okay, I did too, okay. Well, it turns out mom knew best. 
Okay? Slowing down our eating, waiting for that full feeling to come, and then we're not going to eat so much. Here's another idea. <laughs> yeah, I'll never do this one. Okay, at the grocery store or the market or Fred Meyer's or wherever, get in the longest line <laughs> and then let someone cut it in front of you. Just saying, okay? I have a day timer at work. And at work, I'm always, I'm writing in, I'm scheduling. I don't have a day timer for home. But if I did, I would want to schedule slow time. Okay? Slow time. Time where I am purposely slowing down. But most people do not schedule blocks of time to do nothing, to just sit, just relax. Uh, schedule some slow time. Put spa more space between appointments. You know, sometimes we schedule an appointment and say, okay, that's going to be about 30 minutes, and then it's going to take me 15 minutes to get to the next place, and, and so I'm going to schedule that next one for 45 minutes after the first one, and then that first one goes long, and, and pretty soon you're, you're backed up. Schedule more time between appointments. Turn off the cell phone. Okay, that's a good one. Focus on people, not on events. See, we have this idea of, of we're, we're this event mentality where we focus on doing these events. How about if we just focused on people instead? Meditate more. You know, it's said that people who meditate more are more creative. People who take time just to sit and contemplate and think are more creative. Now, I'm not an artist. Some of you are artists out there, okay? But I would imagine that just slowing down would be important in order to become inspired for the art that you're doing. Reread old, old books. I like to reread books. Because, see, I have a very short, long-term memory. So after I read a book, six months later, I can read it and it's all new to me. You know, it's like reading, reading a completely different story. The Bible has its own cure for hurry sickness. And the Bible calls it solitude. Back there in that at Mark chapter 6 passage, Jesus says, Come ye yourselves apart to a desert place. There's nothing in the desert. I know people who love going to the desert. They think it's the most wonderful thing in the world. I look at it as miles and miles of kitty litter. Okay? Just nothing out there. Go someplace where there aren't any distractions and, 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 and rest. In, in Mark chapter 6, verse 45, he says, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into a ship 
and to go to the other side before Bethsaida while he sent away the people. Getting away from people in order to minister to people better. Mark 7, 24 says, From thence he arose and went to the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. Jesus went to hide. Did you ever think of that before? Jesus hid from people. He tried to anyway, but they found him. Seems like an oxymoron, but the key to getting more accomplished is to do less. See, I can do one or two things well. I can do four or five things fair. If I just limit myself to doing the things that I can do well, I get more done than by trying to spread myself out. So don't hurry. My sermon title this morning is is Don't Hurry, Be Happy. We looked at the hurry part. How does the happy part fit in here? Let's look at that. The biblical word that we want to look at is the word joy. See, happiness comes from the words happenings. We don't get our joy from our circumstances, from what's happening around us. We get our joy from the Lord. Joy does not come from the world. Go over to John chapter 16, verse 33. John 16, 33 says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Joy and peace come together. See, hurrying robs us of our peace, which in turn robs us of our joy. Over in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. Psalm 16, 11. says this. Thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there is pleasure forevermore. It says, in the presence of God there is fullness of joy. Joy does not come from having a full schedule, a full agenda, and then you know, being able to check off everything. Okay, I got everything done on my list today. Joy comes from being in the presence of God. Taking time to be in the presence of God brings joy. And that's what solitude is. Solitude is taking time just to be with God. No one else, no interruptions. Go Hide somewhere. Find a place to hide. Just be with God. I have found that anger is a real joy killer. You know that? When you're, you're angry, you, you, you can't really be full of joy. 
Do you know that people in a hurry arrive places more angry than those who drive slower? That's been proven by research. People who are in a hurry arrive places more angry than those who drive slower. We lived in New Jersey for three years. People drive crazy in New Jersey. They're always honking their horns. A red light, by the way, I'm going to give this in case you ever find yourself in New Jersey. Here's a warning for you. A red light in New Jersey means three more cars may go through the intersection. I am not kidding. I am not kidding. The first time I was at a stoplight and, and the light turned green and I stepped on the gas in order to go, I had to slam on the brakes because three more cars went through. It's, it's a crazy place. People were angry. Every time I went out in the car to drive somewhere, you could just see angry people around you hurrying, trying to find that spot. Now, traffic is horrible, I understand. But we felt we were living in a place where people were angry. It's funny, I mentioned this to someone a while back who was from New Jersey, and he agreed. He says, yeah. You know, people are perfectly happy and everything until they get in their car, and then all of a sudden they become angry monsters. So much that Disney made a cartoon starring Goofy about getting in a car. I don't know if any of you remember that one or not. Okay, and mild-mannered Goofy is great when he's a pedestrian and he gets in a car and then he goes bonkers there. Gratefulness, on the other hand, is a joy builder. Spending time reflecting on God's gracious gifts to us, that is what produces joy. Knowing that I am in line with God's will and God's word, that produces joy in my life. And those are things we get from spending time with God. Generally speaking, we want to avoid fatigue. But you know what I found out? There's some, actually some blessings that come with fatigue. I never thought of that before. But there are some blessings, and, and I, I, admittedly, they're diamonds from the manure pile. But, you know, there, there are some blessings that come along with fatigue. There was a time in my life I was diagnosed with an illness. And uh, it was one of those things where there's, there was no cure for it. Um, and uh, it's one of those things I just you know, had to live with. One of the results of that illness is that I was tired all the time. I was fatigued all the time from that. It, it took all my energy just to keep breathing and keep the heart pumping. You know, that tired. But I found some blessings that came from being fatigued as well. Blessing number one I found is that fatigue can soften 
the soul. The, the more fatigued I became, the, the more honest I was with myself and, and others. Uh, I, I didn't have to maintain that facade of, of, of being Superman. You know, I can do everything. The more fatigued I became, the more obvious it became. I could just be honest with people and, and say, you know, this is how I am right now. My, my defenses wore down. Uh, I, I became more vulnerable. And, and really, that led to a greater intimacy with other people. As, as I would say, you know, th there was no sense trying to pretend I was something I wasn't. And, and as other people saw the real me, then, then they were real. And, and then true intimacy took place. I found in that period of time probably more people expressed appreciation for the work I was doing. But most importantly, the physical fatigue left me more time to spend with God because I couldn't hurry around and do things. So it, it, it was a blessing. Second Corinthians, at that time in my life, Second Corinthians came alive for me. As far as I'm concerned, if you're going through suffering, if you're going through trials in your life, you know, Psalms and 2 Corinthians would be where I would instruct you to go. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5, says, As the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. The, the more we are suffering, the, the more we are worn down, the, the more that God comforts us and encourages us. And, and so there, there, there is a, a blessing that comes from a fatigue that, that we can't control. Some of you might be there today. You say, you know, I, the fatigue I'm experiencing, it's not something I can control. I can't just slow down. You know, it can soften the soul. The, the second thing, fatigue increased my ministry. I found out, and, and, I, and I, I didn't realize this, I think, in, until someone kind of brought it to my attention, my sermons became more heart and less head. You know what I mean by that? You know, less intellectual, all of a sudden, it was more real. It was more heart. Go over to, to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We have the story of, of Jesus talking to the woman at the well. And I know verse 6 is up there, but let me just back up and read a little bit. Now he, Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his sons Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone in the town to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said unto him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And from there, Jesus talks to her, and Jesus ministers to her. And as a result, she goes out and she tells others, and and pretty soon a, a whole town is gathering together to hear Jesus talk. And how did it begin? It began by Jesus being tired. That's how it began. The opportunity to minister came from Jesus being tired. In that Second Corinthian passage, it goes on and it talks about the idea that um, when, when we're comforted, well, let's just read it. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the suffering of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. You see, when we're tired, when we're stressed out, when we're fatigued, God comes. That's, that's part of the all-tribulation there. We can then comfort others with the same comfort. As we go through the trials and struggles of life, God ministers to us through people who've been through those same trials and tribulations before us. God comforts us through other people. But there's a problem. If we're so busy, if we've got our life so orderly, so organized, so put down on paper exactly all that we have to do, where do we have time to come alongside those who need comfort, those who need encouragement? And when we're going through trials and tribulations, when, when we're going through that stress, if we've got ourselves scheduled out so much, where is there time for God to bring someone alongside of us to minister to us? Don't hurry. Be happy. You know, I think there is a correlation there. And I think the correlation needs to be taken to heart. we got a new pastor coming. I know a little bit of what his expectations are. But wouldn't it be a shame if he came here and said, okay, I got this idea, and you know, we want to do this, I feel led of God, and, and you go, let me check my schedule. Oh, nope, sorry, I can't do that. I'm booked up from now to the year 2020. You know, are we going to have time for the vision of our new pastor? Are we going to have time to, to come alongside and work with him and, and help him and encourage him? You know, 
I've been in his shoes a few times. You know, you go to a new church, it's kind of exciting, and it's kind of scary at the same time. And maybe God is going to be saying, you know, you could be a real help to Chad or Vanessa or the children. You could, you, you know, if we're booked up, if we're hurrying around, are we going to miss the opportunity that God's giving us to minister to our new pastor? Let's pray.